Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities Welcome to episode 9 of the Beyond the Boss podcast. I'm your host, Dave Gershman, and uh, unfortunately, uh, due to, uh, due to, uh, due to Matt just came back from Arizona yesterday and he wants to spend time with family, uh, we have Mike Petrello back on from Mike Social's Tragic Illness and Baseball Perspectives. Mike, how you doing? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Thanks for the uh, the kind welcome. With unfortunately, we have to have Mike on. I appreciate that. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it's it's horrible that we have to have Mike on. Mike, I don't even want to talk to you, but I have to have you on. Okay. I'm, act- I'm actually kind of jealous of uh, Matt being able to go to Arizona with the Fangraphs guys. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I actually want to talk a little bit, a little bit about uh, spring training in general because I was just in Florida myself, and it was, I mean, it was awesome. I, I really, I really believe that, you know, that that minor league camp is is one of the most fun things you could ever do, um, ever. And uh, you know, I, I got to see a lot of uh, a lot. Of, I, I went to Pirates camp and Blue Jays camp, and uh, I mean, it's just it was just filled with just top 100 prospects and just I mean, just hard throwing pitchers. And I got you know video scouting reports. It was a lot of fun. And um, unfortunately for you, you know, because you're because you're an East Coast guy, uh, Vero Beach is is no longer the home of the Dodgers anymore, Mike. Well, that's that's true. I've actually been to spring training for the last five years, uh, and I'm going next week to to Tampa and Clearwater. But uh, for the first two or three years, we always went to Vero Beach, and then last year I actually went to Arizona, which is interesting and totally different. But I'm interested that you went to, to the Pirates and the Blue Jays because, you know, I'm going to the Yankees and the Dodgers. It's such a big experience. But I feel like in Bradenton and Dunedin, there's just not that many fans there. It's probably a lot smaller, a lot more intimate. Yeah, right? well, the feeling, right? well, yeah, I mean, there was like, honestly, there was like 10 people there. And, and that's the thing, you know, if you go to Major League, uh, Minor League Camp, it's not as fun because, you know, there's like, it's, you know, it's crowded with fans. You know, if you go to Giants minor league camp, or sorry, if you go to Giants major league camp, there's probably like every, every third person has a fake beard on their face and everything. You know, it's, it's probably packed with just annoying people. But when you go to minor league camp, Mike, you just, you know, it's, it's very relaxing. It's quiet. All you hear is, you know, glove popping and, and hitting. It's a lot of fun. And, and you know what? The players are friendly, you know, because here's the thing about minor league camp, and obviously you know this, but for those, for those listeners who don't, um, it's, it's, you know, there's four fields or five, four fields mostly, and, and in the middle of all four fields is where the fans are. So, you know, the players have to cross field to field to get from, you know, to, you know, like in between drills or whatever, and they pass by you, they say hi. You know, a, a Deck McGuire passed by me and said what's up and stopped, and, you know, Asher Watts, Chowski, all these guys. It was like paradise almost. It was a lot of fun. And uh, make sure, Mike, okay, make sure that next week, or, yeah, I think next week when you go to Tampa and Clearwater, bring sunscreen. <laughs> bring sunscreen, okay? I was, I was, you know, I was in Bradenton and, and Clearwater and Tampa myself, it's not only hot, but it's, I mean, it's, I got a sunburn. It's that bad. Yeah, I forgot about that last year in Arizona because we went to the park in the morning and it was cold and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd brought my sweater. And then by the time we left, it was like 95 degrees out and I'm like, this is awful. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it, it gets very hot, uh, you know, and also the thing about, about Florida is it's very humid, unlike Arizona. But, uh, hey, listen, guys, if you want to follow, you know, let's get some housekeeping out of the way, Mike. If you want to follow Mike on Twitter. Uh, he is at and, and Mike. Um, I now I know how to spell it because I, you know, because I type it so much. It's Mike, S C I O S C I A S, capital T, capital I, boom. There you go. And uh, that is correct. If I could change it, I would, but I, I think it's too late. Well, we can. I mean, you can eventually change it. People still know who you are. Um, and if you want to see Mike's work, uh, you know, obviously great work, Mike, on MikeSocialTragicHumorist.com, and Baseball Prospectus. And uh, Mike does his. Uh, Mike, you do uh, a relief pitcher fantasy articles, right? That's true. I, I fantasy articles. I'm actually doing um, two this week, one for, for outfielders, which will be going up on Wednesday, and then um, 
I'm doing a, uh, a chat on Thursday at 1 o'clock. Yeah, make so sure you check his chat out. Make sure you check uh, Mike's chat out. Which, you know, I just realized just now that it's actually St. Patrick's Day, so everybody will probably be out of their offices and not drinking anyway. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm really excited for your chat. I'm gonna be uh, asking you a lot of questions. Okay. Good. I look forward to it. Yeah. And um, if you wanna, if you wanna, uh, you know, Matt is still here in spirit. If you wanna follow Matt on Twitter, he is at devil underscore fingers. If you wanna follow me on Twitter, which you probably don't, because I only have 800 followers and Mike has like 10,000. Oh um, please. <laughs> I'm at Dave underscore Gershman. And, uh, you know, if you'd like to send your emails to us, uh, btbquestions at gmail. And, you know, we actually have a lot planned for today, Mike. Um, uh, you, you know, we had a good time talking to Jonah Carey and uh, Jerry Krasnick, right, Mike? Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, recently uh, I did a couple of Scoops articles on Beyond the Boss Score. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what a scoop was or, you know, you know how, how reporters like a credit or if they, or if they even can be ranked for certain deals. Um, so Jerry, uh, you know, clarified that, uh, you know, uh, he talked to us about, about what a scoop really is to him and about how reporters uh, value those, you know, uh, reported deals. And we, did, we talked to Jonah about the extra 2%, uh, his book that just came out. And, um, you know, also, uh, our apologies from last week, uh, last week, Matt and I, uh, we got cut off early. We were, Mike, I'm not sure if you heard, but, uh, but my, uh, Matt and I were, we were, you know, getting really deep into a Rockies conversation and about Jason Hamill and about my love for Jason Hamill. And and then our predictions for the season for the NL West, and it all got cut off. It just it just died. Oh, it's unfortunate that nobody got to hear you saying the Dodgers would be in fourth place. <laughs> well, actually, I said that, believe it or not. And uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, I Mike obviously uh, picks the Dodgers to finish first with a hundred win record, right, Mike? No, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm I'm actually kind of down on them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, but we also have uh, Mike and I are going to talk about the NL Central today. We're going to preview the NL Central. We're also going to talk about some, you know, some storylines and then some other stuff. Um, so, Mike, uh, you know, last year, you know, start, let's start with the Pirates, okay? And uh, the Pirates had, you know, a, a pretty uh, slow, you know, it, it wasn't that great of an offseason. They signed uh, Kevin Correa, they uh, Matt Diaz, um, you know, but the Pirates have some have some pretty good young players who are, who are getting more mature. Um, you know, what do you think about about those? You know, about Jose, about the Jose Tabadas and Pedro Alvarez of the world, Mike? You know, I think again, I'm not a Pirates fan, but if there's any team in baseball that I want to see do well, it is absolutely the Pirates, just because they've been down for so long. I mean, they've got the greatest park, they've got such a great history, and it, they just that town that team needs a winner. Uh, but you know, as far as the team, I think they're in the right direction. I think mm-hmm. what was it? I think Pedro Alvarez be a good player, but, you know, he's going to have to move across time in the first base at some point, and that's going to reduce his value right there. Um, you know, they drafted these guys like Stetson Alley and Jameson Tyon, and they're good, but they're so far away, and the problem is that some of the good young hitters they've got coming up are, are so far ahead of the pitching that by the time the pitching is ready, the hitters will be gone. So their, their timing might be a bit off, I think. Yeah, I mean, do you do you, uh, do you look at how many, how any of their young stars? Well, I mean, well, not so young anymore. They have James McDonald, Paul Mahalem. Are any of those guys, you know, a potential, you know, because you're the fantasy guy, so are there any potential breakout candidates in that rotation aside from James McDonald, who I personally think is is uh, is the best out of that group? Well, I'm totally biased towards James McDonald because yeah. you know, he came from the Dodgers in that horrendous deal for Octavia. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when he went to the Pirates and they actually gave him a chance, he was, he was pretty good down the stretch. Um, I just read the other day that he, he pulled a, a muscle in his side. I'm not sure how serious that is, so that's something to keep an eye on. But if he's someone you can get for a dollar, and, you know, that, that's actually a good point. I, we just did our uh, fantasy projection uh, predictions for the uh, baseball prospectus, and I think one of the categories is best one dollar pitcher, and I think I actually chose James McDonald. 
So I am pretty high on him. But, you know, like the other guys, you know, they don't have fate of Russell Ollendorf, who, you know, I mean, I know the win-loss record is misleading. He's okay. He's not great. Paul Mahalm, again, okay, but not great. There's, there's not a whole lot of fantasy potential, I don't think, in the rotation other than McDonald. Um, in the bullpen, I'm very high on Joel Anderhead. His uh, strikeout rate yeah. was like, you know, 12 and a half or for nine or something like that last year. He's going to be the closer. Uh, and I think he's kind of going under the radar. So he's definitely a guy I'm looking for in all my drafts. Wait, so you're telling me that you'd rather have Anthony, uh, sorry, uh, that you'd rather have Dave McDonald and Andrew Lambeau than Anthony Jackson? <laughs> God, that guy, he didn't even get invited to Major League Cap. He's like 26 <laughs> of the non-base percentage of, I don't know, like 250 in last year. I mean, but at least they, you know, at least I got 18 and a half innings of Octavio Dotel. 18 and a half innings, the good 18 and a half innings. And, and, you know, oh, what a brutal trade. Yeah, it was a pretty bad trade. And, and back to the Pirates, I mean, yeah, I mean, you said they have uh, they have Ali and they have Time and they have uh, Luis Redia and they and they have some good other you know pitching prospects like like uh, um, Justin Wilson and Rudy Owens. You know those guys, uh, Brian Morris. You know, is there is there any chance? Well, obviously, Mike. Uh, um, later in the show, we're gonna we're gonna preview our our predictions, our um our standing predictions. Is there any chance, um, in your opinion, in your opinion, that the Pirates can you know, can make it out of the cellar this year and maybe finish at least you know fourth or third? Uh, I, I do think there's a chance, if only because I think the Astros are going to be horrendous. Mm-hmm. So they can definitely beat out them. Maybe, you know, maybe get another spot up above that if, if another one of the teams, like the Cubs or somebody, totally implodes. But I, I can't see them finishing any higher than fourth. Who is, Not this year. If you had to pick a one player on the Pirates to have, you know, um, you know have a breakout season or have, you know, you know Kevin Goldstein picks a prospect in each organization, uh, you know, to have a, you know, like a, like a jumper or a shooter, who would be uh, your Pittsburgh Pirate? Um, you know, a breakout candidate. Well, I guess the probably difference between breakout candidate and best player because I would say Andrew McCutcheon is really good. He's great, but he's, he's already broken out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think part of their problem is that they've got a bunch of young players who are going to play, but unless you consider Pedro Alvarez, you know, I don't know that they really have a great breakout candidate this year. I guess yeah. Alvarez only played like half a season last year. So yeah. if this is going to be his first full season, then maybe that he's going to be that guy. He's only going to be 24. So that's progress. It's in the right direction. I mean, they're not playing, you know, some of the beat-up veterans they had a couple years ago. Uh, they at least have a plan, I guess is the right way to put it. Whether they have the right players for that plan remains to be seen, but they have the right plan. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because because uh, Pedro Alvarez gained, I think he gained like 15 pounds this offseason because he got married. But but he's been, I mean, he's been hitting well. He's been playing a, a really well this uh, this spring training. Um, I'm gonna go with Jose Tabata, you know, just because I think um, I think he, you know, he has he has a lot of speed. He, you know, he can hit. Um, he doesn't have much power, but he can hit. He uh, he can run. He can play the field. So I'm gonna go with him. And you know, I think I think you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pirates who you could look at and say, well, you know, obviously this guy you know played maybe half a season or close to a full season last year, and he's not really a breakout candidate, but he still has a lot to show. And uh, I think Jose Tabata will will have a better season, a better full season uh, uh, than he did uh, have, you know, a good uh, last season, uh, you know, a half season last year. And I think the same with Pedro Alvarez. I think it's I think it's shocking to me that uh, Tabata is still so young because you, know, you probably know Dave lives in New York. We may not be Yankee fans, but we follow the Yankees. I feel like yeah. I've been hearing his name for like ten years at this point, and he's only going to be twenty two this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but well, he was in the news a couple of years ago because his wife. Did you hear about his wife? Yeah, yeah, and she's like thirty five, and, and this whole story about I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> she's a, she's a criminal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so and he's only 22 now. So what was, it was, he got married when they were like 18, right? It's pretty funny, actually. It is. Um, but yeah, but I like well, you know, I like Jose Tabata as a player. You know, I, you know, I'm looking at his stats now. He had 19 stolen bases last year, 346 on base percentage at, at 21. That, you know, that's actually a lot to build on. Yeah, so I, I can see that. 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of other ways to you know to prove uh, um, how good he was last year using you know Fangraph stats or whatever. But I'm another team, Mike, who uh, who a lot of people are down on, and personally, I'm down on them big time because you know not so much because of things that, uh, that they've done, but certain things that have happened recently. Uh, we're talking about the Houston Astros, and you know obviously Jason Castro went down. Uh, you know he was one of their you know he's uh, on last year he was one of the top prospects. I'm pretty sure he was. I'm pretty sure he was not a prospect. Yeah, he was not a prospect that coming into the season uh, due to at bats last year, but. He uh, he's gonna miss the whole season pretty much, uh, with a knee injury, and um, you know he's one of their best uh, you know young players who they who they who they expect a lot out of, and they have Brett Wallace who really has uh, has gone into bad shape and he hit a grand slam today and that's you know that's why I'm excited about him today but every other day I'm not gonna be excited about him, and um, Mike you know first let's talk about those young players you know uh, what do you think about the Astros' future? Uh, I think you have to kind of take their future with a grain of salt just because. You know, two years ago, they had the absolute worst farm system in baseball. Like, they were starting from, from nothing. And now, they, you know, they're, they're moving up. They've got uh, Lyles, the pitcher, who's going to be pretty good. He's probably going to make his debut this year. Uh, and, and they're getting better. But, uh, you know, as far as this year, I guess the one thing that might put them better than the Pirates are is that they've got a better rotation. Because Brett Myers was very good last year. Yeah. Uh, Monty Rodriguez was very good last year. Jay Happ was actually pretty okay. Bud Norris was okay. That's not a terrible starting rotation they've got there. Um, but, you know, their offense, they've got Hunter Pence, and, I mean, that, that infield is, is probably the worst infield in, in baseball right now. Yeah. You're gonna, you know, I don't I don't think much of Brett Wallace. Um, you know, you got, they're going to play, they got Bill Hall at second base and uh, Clint Barnes at shortstop, and then Chris Johnson had a good last year last year, but totally out of whack with his entire history. Like, his, his average on balls in play was just crazy, and he's going to be over those guys who falls completely back to earth. Yeah, um, and then I like Hunter Pence well enough, but Carlos Lee is—you know—he's old. He's—he's he's just cooked. His on-base percentage is going to be like 280 this year, so I think they're going to be the team that loses a lot of three-to-two games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michael Bourne's also a guy who I like a lot, but I, yeah, but you said—I mean, you know—it's it, 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 funny, Mike, because after Brett Wallace was traded last year from the Jays to the Astros, you know, it seemed like a, like a lot of people who knew Brett Wallace, you know, like who who've seen him play, who have watched him play a lot, um, you know, um, opened up the eyes of many, you know, to how overrated he really is and, and you know the bat may be there but you know if he's gonna if he's gonna hit 20 home runs in the big leagues and play I mean he's a really bad first baseman he is he's a horrible third baseman but he's but he's a you know he's almost as bad of a first baseman as a third baseman and you know if he hits 20 home runs and he strikes out you know 150 times and he's really bad at first base there's probably plenty of other first basemen who you could find out there to replace him you know he's not you know and the Jays traded him knowing that you know they could probably find you know Travis Snyder or Adam Lind on their roster to play at first base and you know, uh, Anthony Ghost, who the Jays got, uh, is really exciting, and, and he's in a, you know he's very toolsy. He's still young, he's raw, but but yeah, but you said it. Uh, Brett Wallace is 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 not you know as good as people used to think he was, and um and and that infield. It's, sorry, Mike. It's, it, I was gonna say it's not a good sign when if you're a top prospect and you get traded what three times in two years. Absolutely. That 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 worries me. Well, yeah, I mean, it also you know this is a little off topic, but I think it sets a precedent for you know a lot of people. Uh, who don't watch minor league baseball, and obviously, Michael, you and I watch minor league baseball, and, and we follow it. But you know, but it, it makes so much of a difference to go and watch minor leaguers play. I mean, I was I was down in Florida uh, this week, and I saw Jameson Tyon throw a session, and you know, I, I you know I thought completely different of him after that. I mean, I never knew how good his fastball was, how good his curveball was. The guy was just throwing gas. But yeah, I mean, you know, back to the Astros. Um, you know, Brett Wallace is is not going to be a, a very good first baseman. He's not going to be a very good player. And Jason Castro, it doesn't help when when Jason Castro, who arguably could have been, uh, you know, um, the Astros' uh, best young player this year, is down for the season. And, yeah, uh, they're they're in big trouble because there's not a lot coming from the minor league system. Like I mean, Jordan Lyles, he's good, but I mean, as far as bats, 
several years away at least. Yeah, um, there's one guy who, who I do like, and that's uh, Anuri Rodriguez, who I saw pitch today on TV, and you know he he was a Rule Five pick, and he's been a bounced around, uh, you know, from the Rockies, Rays, and now the Astros. Uh, you know, he he's a you know, Mike. The thing is, you know, he's not going to overpower anybody. He doesn't have the best stuff, but you know, he'd be a really good number four, number five. Uh, you know, he has a he has a good fastball. He, uh, you know, he uh, he changes speeds. He has an easy delivery. He could, you know, um, until Jordan Miles is ready, uh, Aaron Rodriguez could could be a really good uh, number five starter. I think. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully for the Astros' sake, that's true. But you know, that's another pitcher, so they still don't have anyone who can hit the ball. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's a step up. They're not playing, uh, you know, Pedro Feliz and Jeff Bloom anymore, but uh, you know. They didn't really replace them with the best guys either. Yeah, I mean, Clint Barmus and Bill Hall. Oh, well, Bill Hall is, is is not, you know, he's not a great player. I mean, he's not a very good player, but he's not as bad as, as the other players on the infield. Um, I mean, I like I like him as your utility guy, but if you're going to have him start every day and be your number five hitter or whatever he's going to be, I think that's a problem. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Let me ask you this, Mike. Would you rather, I mean, this is just, this is just uh, speculation, but would you rather play Carlos Lee at first and have Brett Wallace sit and put Bill Hall in the outfield and... You know, have uh, whoever as your, whoever as your second baseman, or have it the way it is now. Uh, definitely have the way it is now because at least with Brett Wallace, you've got a chance that he could turn into something. He's only going to be 24. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, there's they're not going to win this year, so there's no point in benching a prospect just to play the veterans more. Yeah, I mean that Carlos Lee, you know, Carlos Lee just, uh, just just makes the whole team look even worse. I mean, gosh. Yeah, he's, he's a horrendous outfielder and he can't get on base. He's really his only worth is like he'll hit 20 home runs and that's about it. So. Is there any player who you would look at? I mean, I can't even I can't even pick one of these. Although I am going to pick a player. Is there anyone on the Astros roster who you could look at and say this guy is going to be? You know, maybe he's not going to break out. You know, maybe he's already had a couple full seasons under his belt, but he's going to be their best. Uh, you know, surprising player. Uh, you know, I, I like Hunter Pence if only because he's consistent. I'm, uh, without looking it up, I'm pretty sure he's at 25 homers on the news like the last three seasons in a row. Yeah, he'll still get 15 to 20 bases. Uh, you know, his batting average on base percentage is, is all fine. But if you get a guy who hits 25 homers and, and 18 stolen bases, I'm pretty sure, because uh, I looked this up for an article the other day, there's only been three outfielders in baseball who've done that uh, in two of the last three years. It's like him and Chris Young and Matt Kemp and, and somebody else, I think. And, and that's not bad. You know, that's that's a player you can, you know, maybe not be the star of a championship team, but that's a player you can win with. Um, a guy you mentioned earlier, Bud Norris, is, is my guy. You know, it's funny because he's, you know, he's probably, you know, 5'11", 6 feet. And he's like 220 pounds, but he throws 97, 98 at times. He has, you know, he has pretty bad command. And he hasn't really, you know, he's not really a pitcher; he's a thrower. But I think he could be a pretty good starter if he, if he, if he gets it together, if he gets his act together. Yeah, um, you know, he struck out. He struck out more than a man per inning last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his first full season, I guess, right? So he can find some way to bring down the walks and, and some of the home runs. That, you know, he can be pretty useful. Um, yeah, and let's go on to the Cubs now, okay? Uh, the Cubs. You know, there's been a lot of, of talk about Randy Wells, uh, you know, being, you know, not being left out or not even being in rotation. Now, Randy Wells has been a pretty good starter for the Cubs over the last couple of years. Let's talk about the rotation first, Mike, because they acquire Matt Garza. They trade, you know, uh, Hawk Julie and Chris Archer and a couple of other guys for Matt Garza. And they have, uh, you know, Carl Zambrano, Ryan Dempster. It's it's not a bad rotation on paper, but uh, there's a lot of question marks in that rotation. Um, you yeah, know, I, I can't. I can't remember where I read it. I think it might have been uh, Joe Polakowski. It was. Paragraph, yeah, it was. It was. Where he's saying that Randy Wells was basically identical or better than Matt Garza. Yeah. Which I thought. I thought that was that was pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, I think it really depends on can Carlos Santana keep his head on straight this year. And so far, so good. But you, know, you can never trust that. That with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's uh, and also Matt Garza, same thing. I mean, both both of those guys have have uh, both those guys have potential. To have one really, really angry fit and go crazy, you know. 
Mike. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and that's and that's going to be a, a problem for them. But I mean, it's as far as rotations go, it's got potential. Because Ryan Dempsey yeah. is pretty good. Zambrano can be good. Dude, Carlos Silva, who knows with that? Right. I mean, he, he's so bad. There's, they might actually have to cut him. That's how bad he's looked. Right. Um. There's you know it's a it's a decent looking bullpen. They have a, they have some hard throwing guys. They have Andrew Kashner, who's you know who are still not sure where he's going to be. You know, I, I think he the, should be a starter. I would totally try to put him back in the rotation. Yeah. Um. Satchel on I'll be on the box score was saying that, and I agree. I mean you know. Um, I'd rather I'd rather have him in the rotation than someone like Carlos Silva, um, and Carlos Marmol, who's just a filthy filthy closer. That guy, there's, uh, I mean his slider is amazing, and, and he's going to be the closer this year. Obviously, they just signed to a to a good deal. Um, but you know James Russell, there's some guys who are just going to you know blow up innings. Like last year, Justin Berg, you know there's there's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty with the Cubs, and um, there's also. It's a pretty strange lineup, and, and Mike, this is kind of funny. I always laugh at this. Uh, you know, obviously, um, when you tweet, Mike, you pretty much like retweet uh, the tweet, right, and then answer it, right? It seems like every person asks you about acquiring a Blake DeWitt back to the Dodgers. <laughs> you know, it's actually mostly the same guy who just asks me once every couple of weeks. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, Blake DeWitt, he's a fine player. If, if people don't remember, he came up uh, in 2008 when Nomar got hurt and Andy LaRoche got hurt and, like, three other third basemen for the Dodgers got hurt. And he was coming out of single A or double A, and he wasn't even doing that well. And everybody thought it was going to be a total disaster. And he actually he was pretty good for the first two months. And then, of course, he was a total disaster. But that alone kind of won him the hearts of Dodger fans. You know, he's a good player. He's not great. He's never going to hit for power. Um, he's pro- he's a very good third baseman, but he's not a great second baseman. But that's kind of where they're putting him now anyway because they don't have a need at third base. And, like, you know, I think I retweeted somebody else said, like, if you have him, great, but you certainly don't go out of your way to go get him. Well, but the question is, Mike, can we reacquire Blake DeWitt? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, if the, if the Cubs want to take Jay Gibbons, I'll happily go get Blake DeWitt. Oh, uh, good old Jay Gibbons. Well, you know, the Cubs, they have they have some good young players, actually. They have um, Starling Castro and they have Tyler Colvin. I, you know, I'm, I'm not really the biggest Tyler Colvin fan, but, you know, but whatever. Starling Castro is a good player. They have some really bad contracts on the team. And, you know, but, but putting that aside... I'm not sure what you think, Mike, but a guy I really like on the Cubs. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be as good as he was last year, but Marlon Byrd. Um, you know, I, I'm 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 pretty sure there's going to be some regression, but he plays a good center field. He's um he's I mean he's pretty good offensively last year. What do you think about the Cubs outfield, Mike? You know, about Marlon Byrd, I remember he signed that that contract coming off the big year with the Rangers, and everybody yeah. kind of laughed at him. Like, oh, he's a product of, of Texas, and you know what? He's played pretty well. He's he's basically lived up to that contract, which a lot of the Cubs guys can't say. Um, you know, as far as our lineup goes. I think Soriano kind of got a lot of uh, a bit of a bad rap because yes, he, he strikes out a lot. No, he's not as good of a player as he used to be, but he also had a, a, he almost slugged 500 last year, 24 home runs. I think he can do the same or better this year. Yeah. Um, you know, Fukudome, I've never been a big fan of his, but he does have the on-base percentage, um, and that's that can be quite valuable. And then you look at the rest of the lineup. I mean, they're not playing Ryan Terrio anymore, so that's a huge step up. And then I think Aramis Ramirez, you know, if he's healthy this year, yeah, absolutely. You know, people act like he had like one home run year. He he did hit 25 homers yeah. with a with a bum wrist or, or whatever it was. And I think he can he can be a very good player this year. Um, yeah, Aramis Ramirez is actually, and this is his, this is a contract year. So if he wants to make money after this season, he's going to have to he's he's have to play well. And I actually have a lot of high hopes for him. I like him a lot. Yeah, and, I agree with you. I think yeah. he's a good year for him. And uh, Carlos Payne the same thing. Uh, he's got a hit too. It's a contract year for him as well. And and you know I I actually like the signing of Carlos Payne. Um, you know, I think you know he's gonna, you know he's obviously he's not going to hit for an average. He's going to hit a lot of home runs. Um, you know, but then again, uh, a Wrigley Field is is a lot bigger than, than the Tropicana Field. So, you know, I'm not sure if he's gonna, if he's going to be as good offensively as he was last year. And he really wasn't that. Good. I mean, he aside from hitting the home runs, he wasn't that great offensively last year. 
Uh, but Giovanni Soto was a guy I liked. Like, uh, you know, he had a, a disastrous 2009, and he had a really good 2010. I'm, I'm a big fan of Giovanni Soto. I, he kind of flies under the radar, mm-hmm. you know, as far as guys like McCann and Maurer and Posey and all that. But I, I think he's very good. I think he can really chalk up his previous year to uh, he was injured a lot. But his on-base percentage last year was almost 400 yeah. for a catcher, which is outstanding. Uh, and yeah, no, I'm a big fan of him. If, if you're a Cubs fan, the more you can get out of Soto, and the less you have to see of Koye Hill, that's a big one. And uh, is there anybody who you would, you know, who you would, uh, you know, back to our guy, back to our our one guy who we think is gonna have a big season? Who's your guy? You know, I, I know you said you're not a big fan, but I actually do kind of like Tyler Colvin. Um, I know he strikes out a lot, but um, when he he hits the ball and he hits it a long way, he hit 20 home runs last year and less than 400 plate appearances. They give him more time, he, he might be a 30 home run threat. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, obviously. Uh, Kosky Fukudomi is being paid a lot of money. Are they going to play Fukudomi and leave Colvin out? I mean, I don't think they should, but uh, I don't think. Yeah, hey, I don't think they will. But you know, you look at their outfield, and all three of those outfielders are, are like what thirty-three and thirty-four yeah. and thirty-five. I think there's going to be plenty of playing time for the fourth guy. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with uh, Starlin Castro. Well, actually, no, I can't do that because he had a really good year last year. Yeah, that's why I didn't choose him last year. Either. Okay, fine. I'll go with Colvin too. I mean, it's not that I dislike Colvin. I just don't know if he's really going to get. Well, I guess he's going to get a chance. You know. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I'll take Colvin, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess when I said I wasn't a big fan before, I'm not sh- sure uh, why I said that, but whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got flaws for sure. I mean, he, he strikes out a lot. He doesn't yeah. get on base all that much. But if you know, you're just looking for a guy who can come in off the bench and be a fourth outfielder with some power, I mean, that's a useful guy. Yeah, there was a there's a player on the New Hampshire Fisher Cats last year who I saw play a lot named Eric Thames. I'm sure you've heard of him, Mike. Um, he's a he's a cousin of Marcus Thames. Um, and I like that. You actually, you got it right. They do pronounce the names differently. Well, yeah, it was funny because I was, I was talking to him in Trenton about it, and I said to him, you know, I was like, Eric, uh, are you guys cousins? Or, you know, why is it, why do you pronounce it differently? And he just said, you know, it's just the way it is. They're just, you know, but they are cousins, and it is Eric Thames. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I, having seen him a lot last year because I, I spent last summer in New Hampshire. I got to watch the Fisher Cats a lot. Um, he has a, it's a pretty violent swing, and it's really, you know, it's one of those swings where it's it's home run or it's strikeout. Okay? And, and he reminds me a lot of Tyler Colvin or the other way around, you know? I think I think it's one of you know a lot of those a lot of these guys who, who hit home runs you know same with, same with Brendan Bosch I just don't know if Tyler Colvin is going to be a hitter just a or just a home run hitter you know yeah I mean and, and that's he's still young he's only going to be what 25 this year so yeah. he's got he's got time to take that step but you know even if he's just a home run hitter you know it's still a major league player and there's potential there to be a little more yeah absolutely well okay let's talk about the Reds now all right. Actually, don't about the car. Well, let's talk about the Reds first. Then we'll talk about the Brewers, and we'll finish with the biggest uh, a drama story: the Cardinals. Okay, um, uh, you know the Reds. Uh, they've they uh, they, uh, they signed Joey Votto to a three-year deal. They locked up Jay Bruce. I wouldn't say they locked up Joey Votto, but they locked up Jay Bruce. And um, you know the uh, the Reds have a lot of guys in the, in the rotation who have have been coming off injuries or who have some flaws. You know, there's you know Mike Leake uh, spent you know a lot of last season injured. He was pretty good when he was healthy, but. Uh, Travis Wood is a guy who, you know, who, who doesn't have great stuff, but he, you know, he's a pitcher. Um, Homer Bailey, Volquez, both those, uh, both those guys have been exciting. You know, Volquez, uh, he, you know, he was really good in 2008, but uh, both, both, have, both have had injuries. Johnny Cueto, um, I mean, you know, let's talk about the rotation first because that's what we've been doing. Um, you know, if the Reds are going to win this year, Mike, if they're going to have another really good season, is is there any, you know, because because their offense last year was was really good. It was the best in, it was the best in baseball, or or the National League rather. And um, it's hard for you know. There's going to be some, there's going to be some regression. Uh, you know, not every player who hit is going to hit as well as they did last year. Um, is there any chance, Mike, uh, 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 that the rotation could you know could uh, can carry the offense if things don't go well? You know, I got to say, I'm actually a big fan of the Reds this year. Yeah. Um, because you know the rotation may not have the quote unquote ace, 
but that depth there is incredible. And then you know, you're taking away Aaron Harang, who's actually pretty hard last year. Yeah. And uh, if, you know who I'm really big on is this Homer Valley. If you I look agree. at his, you look at his season last year, he was doing okay, and then he got hurt, and then he comes back, and the last uh, you know eight or ten starts of the season, he was just killing it. He's definitely one of my big sleepers this year. I think he actually made it onto my baseball projections, yeah. projections, projections list because I think he's really going to take that next step. I mean, he's always had the talent. He's kind of had, you know, a variety of issues, some injury issues and other stuff. But I really think this year he's going to take that next step and be a very valuable player. And then you look at you, know, you look at the rest of the rotation, Bronson Arroyo, I mean, you know, you look at him and you never understand how he gets guys out, but year after year he keeps getting guys yeah. out, you know. And, uh, you know, Johnny Cueto, Mike Lee, uh, Travis Wood, I mean, that's, that is a good, deep rotation. And then, you know, they, they, they go six deep. I think that the rotation is going to be really great this year. Yeah, um, I completely agree with you about Homer Bailey, and you know he he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, he was you know he's been really good uh, when he's healthy, obviously. You know, Mike, could you just imagine if Edinson Volquez comes back and Homer Bailey stays healthy, and they have um, Arroyo, they have Leak, they have Cueto? I mean, that's it's a really, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then you look at their offense, where they have Jay Bruce, you know, a very good player, Joey Votto, a very good player. They have Brandon Phillips, who's a who's a pretty good player, and they have uh, two you know really good young catching prospects, and they have Ryan Hannigan. At the major league level, who's a who's a really good defender, um, you know it's it's a very good team, and I agree with you. I'm really high in the Reds as well, and you know I'm not going to say where I'm picking them this year until later, but you know it's it's going to be really exciting, uh, you know, in Cincinnati again, I think. Yeah, you know what? I, I think they've got the pieces to make a move if they do need a bat or, or if they want to get an ace because you know they've got the um, Yonder Alonso, who's the, who's the first baseman. He's not going to overtake Joey Votto, but he could still be a very good player, and. So they've got some pieces that they can move at the deadline should they need to go get another bat. Yeah, another yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really surprised Alonzo wasn't traded this offseason. This past offseason, and, and you know the funny thing is, is about uh, Devin Mesoraco and uh, and and, and Zamani Grandal, Mike. Is you know, is, is there's a lot of catching prospects in baseball who you look at, and you say, you know, oh, this guy, you know, is probably not going to be a catcher. He doesn't have a good throwing arm. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't catch very well, but he can hit. Well, the thing is, Mike, both those catchers can hit, but they can really catch. They're, I mean, they're catchers. So they're not going to go to you know they're not going to go to first base. They're not going to go to third base. If if they if they need a player, as you said, they're going to trade one of those catchers. And um, you know obviously uh, Alonzo would be a really good fit on a lot of teams. Um, he's he's major league ready. He played the majors a little bit last year. Um, you know I'm not sure what they're going to do with him as of yet. I mean you know I think I heard someone say that they want to keep him, uh, uh, that they want to keep him just in case they lose Joey Votto. Well that's a horrible idea. You know you don't you know you don't plan things like that. But there are, you know, but there are some contracts um, ending in, uh, with the next couple of years. Uh, Brandon Phillips is going, be, is going to be a free agent after next year. Um, you know, right now in Cincinnati, uh, it's going to be. I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good season, uh, not only because of of the ability that a lot of their players have, but the fact that there's no, there's no, you know, there's nothing to worry about. You know. Well, other than Dusty Baker, but yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I think they're in a good situation, and you know, we can't finish up talking about the Reds without mentioning uh, Aroldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really, I mean, I'm hardly going out on a limb here, but I really think he's going to be a closer by June because Francisco Cordero, I mean, he's old. He's like 36. He, he strikes out less every year. Yeah. Uh, he gets hit harder every year, and I just think this is the year where, where he kind of loses it, and it's not hard to see Aroldis Chapman kind of stepping in and throwing 105 mile an hour fastballs that passed everybody in the ninth inning. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's 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 kind of it's a lot of fun to watch Rolls Chapman throw his fastball and then turn to a Dodgers game and watch uh, Vicente Padilla throw his uh, whatever you want to call it, you know? Oh, the Ephus. The Ephus. Uh, what does Vince Scully call it again? He calls it a... Um, a uh, the soap bubble. Soap bubble. Vince yeah. Scully is the best. I love the Dodgers. But, you know... Uh, I, can't, I can't wait till I can start hearing that voice again. It's gonna, yeah. It's gonna be, you know, it's pretty, you know. I wish that he made more road trips. I wish they went down to spring training, but 
he's I mean he's in the booth again this year. That's that's going to be it's great. You know he's he's the best. It's on, yeah, it's on a kind of a year to year basis at this point. Every year, we cr- hold our cross our fingers, hoping that he's going to come back for one more year. Yeah, and and hopefully he returns for many more years to come. Um, hey Mike, the uh, there's a you know obviously there's a lot of college hoops going on right now, and I'm not the biggest college hoop fan, but it seems like Zach Granke is. And Zach Granke, <laughs> I, I think he was trying to play with uh, with with St. John's or whatever. He was he was trying out for the team, and he got injured. And uh, you know the big uh, the Brewers' big acquisition of the winter of the winter is is now going to miss the first uh, couple weeks of the season. Okay, and you know a lot of people are picking the Brewers uh, to win the division because of their awesome rotation. Well, you know what? I'm not picking the Brewers uh, to win the division even if Granke was healthy. And you know there's there's a lot of things that have to go right. Um, I like the Brewers team in general, but I mean. You know, uh, what are your thoughts on the Milwaukee Brewers after this year, Mike? Well, I think I understand why everybody's freaking out about Zach Ranky, but he, he's probably going to miss like two or three starts, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's not good, but it's probably not the end of the world either. Um, I think that they are an interesting team because they have really gone all in for this season. I mean, their their farm system is just absolutely brutal. So they don't win this year. They're, they're toast for years to come. But, you know, as far as this year... I, I do like, you know, Granky, Gallardo, and, and Markham. Is, that's a really good top three, and then Randy Wolf's a pretty good number four. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of John Axford, the closer. Yeah. I know he kind of came out of nowhere the last year or two. He was like two years ago, he was in single A for the Yankees, being five years older than these kids walking like nine for nine innings. But um, I actually was at this, this conference uh, where Rick Peterson, the you know, pitching coach, or not anymore, last year's pitching coach, was talking about how he, he had him move on the rubber from one side to the other, and he made like all the difference in the world during last season. Yeah. So I have a lot of confidence in John Axford to keep it up. Um, and then, you know, you look at the, the bats. If, if they can stay healthy, it's hard to get past a, a middle of the lineup that's got Hart and Fielder and, and Braun and, uh, and Casey McGee and Weeks. So, I mean, I do think – I agree with you that I'm not picking them, I don't think, to win the division. But I, I think that they're going to be in it. I think they're going to be a good team. Yeah, and there's a lot of exciting – you know, as you said, John Axford, but there's also uh, Zach Braddock. There's a lot of – you know, and especially if Troy Hawkins comes back. And he's a big part of their team. I mean – you know he's not gonna he's not gonna overpower anybody, but at this point he'd be a really good you know Arthur Rhodes type or you know just someone you know a Ron Mayhay, just someone who you know who uh, who you know who pitches well and you know kind of like um uh what's his name uh, Bronson Royal you know you know you don't really know how he pitches well but but the, but some of these guys do he's if he comes back healthy and he just you know and if he uh, throws a sinker I mean he'd be a good uh, you know seventh inning guy sixth inning guy and you know a bridge. Um, Especially yeah, as long as as long as they don't have Trevor Hoffman this year, I mean that's a win-win right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was pretty bad last year. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because we forgot to name our Reds, uh, uh, you know, a breakout person, but we'll name the Reds and Brewers together. But you know, I want to talk about about Giovanni Gallardo. And you know, he's in my opinion one of the, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, is there? I mean, is, Mike, is there anything? You know, he he was great last year and he was great the year before. You know, could he do anything else to you know to be even better? But yeah, you know, he's only, he's only 20, 25, so there's always room for improvement. I, I think, um, you know, he struck out a lot last year. He could try to work down the walks. I think he was at almost four per nine innings. So just like any pitcher, you you know, you work on the control, you stay in the game longer, you pitch more innings, that makes your value increase. Um, but I think even if he doesn't improve, he, maybe he's not an ace, but he's he's a pretty good number three starter on that team, better than a lot of other teams' three starters. Yeah. So so who is, so let's go with the Reds first because we forgot about that. Who is your Reds guy to have a breakout year? Well, I think it's got to be Homer Bailey. I'm, I'm yeah. really big on him breaking out this year, and I think it sounds like you probably agree with me on that one. Yeah, I'm going to pick Homer Bailey, um, but I really, you know, even though he, uh, even though Edinson Volquez uh, pitched, uh, you know, a full season a couple years ago, and he was great, I think he's going to have a big year, but I'm not going to pick him as a breakout candidate because he really can't be considered. But Homer Bailey is my guy as well as yours. And who's your Brewers guy? Uh, Uni Esquipetenco. Really? 
No, that's a joke. Oh, gosh, I was <laughs> going to say. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because you look at the Brewers team and uh, they're, at least their offense is, is full of veterans. Mm-hmm. We're already kind of where they are. I have no hope for, for Carlos Gomez, so you, know, yeah. you can't even say him. They don't really have any young players coming from the minors. And I guess you could say, like, hey, Jonathan Lucroy. It's yeah. kind of hard. He, it's kind of hard to reach out for that, especially I think he just broke his finger not that long ago. Yeah, well, if um, you – sorry. No, go ahead. Well, if you have Zach Braddock for a full season this year, I mean, that yeah, I mean, again, you know, as you said, there's, there's really nobody who could pick. But if you had to pick somebody, I'd go with Zach Braddock just because, you know, they had him for about, I think it was a little more than half the season last year. But he was really good, and he has good stuff. He's left-handed. He strikes guys out. That's my guy. Yeah, no, you know, it's not a bad choice at all. Um, before the Granky trade, I probably would have said Jeremy Jeffress, who I'm really big on. Yeah. But um, I, I think Braddock can be a really big piece out of the pen this year. Gosh, Jeffers is going to have a huge year. I love it. Uh, you know, this is this is the NL Central talk, but but that Royals bullpen this year has some exciting young has some exciting young. Players. I am I'm dying to see Tim Collins. God, you know it's funny. Um, you know I, I've said this so many times because I just love saying this, but uh, Chris Young on the Mets, right? Chris Young, uh, Chris Young is six ten, and he throws the ball uphill, right? Um, Tim Collins is five seven, and he throws the ball downhill. Yeah, and, and like ten miles an hour harder than Chris Young ever has. Yeah, it's 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 it's. I mean, the Royals future if you you know it's it's like you know we're talking to christian Colon and he was saying the same thing you know if you you, know, you could just drool watching those those players play i mean it's and even just thinking about it you know jeremy jeffress you know the bullpen uh, coleman um jeremy jeffress collins hardy all these guys you know especially with soria my goodness yeah and they've got so many prospects that even when a couple of them inevitably flame out they've still got enough to fill in they could they could release half their prospects and have and still yeah. have a, the best system in baseball Really, the only problem is that Dave Moore has shown no proclivity to putting together a major league team because you know you do have to fill in with some veterans, and I'm just terrified that he will do the absolute wrong thing. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, I kind of I kind of like Dave Moore a little bit, and you know, I, I feel, I you know, I, I don't really feel guilty because everyone bags on him, and I and I like him, but I mean, I think you know, so far he's done a great job getting you know getting everything together. But as you said, he needs to follow through, and he, and he needs to continue to to make things happen for the future. Um. A team that does not look that good for the future, Mike, uh, are the same team that, that just lost Adam Wainwright to Tommy John, uh, that lost a player today uh, due to retiring. That's the Cardinals. And, you know, you know, I still like the Cardinals, you know, as a team. But, you know, things have not – it's not easy to be a Cardinal fan right now, especially with Pools in his final year. I mean, what do you think, Mike? Well, I think they just signed Ryan Terrio to play every day. And that is just a, an outright recipe of disaster. Have yeah. seen Ryan Terrio as the Dodgers last year? But, you know, they're in trouble, right? Because I think, okay, Colby Rasmus is great. Uh, you know, Holiday is great. And, and Pujols is great. But, you know, the entire season with Pujols is going to be over his head. Is he going to sign an extension? Is he going to leave? So that's going to be a distraction. Other than they've got, like, those three good players. And then they're kind of filling in the blanks. Like, you know, yeah. is David Freeze going to be healthy? Will he hit? You know, Terrio is awful. You know, you know obviously, Yadi Molina is a very good uh catcher, but he's not much of a hitter. And then, you know, you look at the pitching staff, and it's like, well, Chris Carpenter is awesome, but he's also 36 years old. Uh, Jaime Garcia had a very good year last year, but he also had never pitched anywhere near that amount of innings in his life. And then beyond them, you're going to depend on Kyle Loesch and Jake Westbrook. I mean, that could be a big problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's, you know, the Cardinals, uh, they didn't really plan on all these things happening to their team. Uh, Adam Wainwright, obviously, they, you know, it helps, you know, because I'll be honest, okay, uh, the Dodgers, uh, something, I, you know, something uh, that I like what they did is they signed Lance Cormier, they signed Ron Mayhay, um, they, you know, they signed, uh, you know, they signed some guys to, you know, to make sure that, you know, if there's, you know, it's just insurance, you know, that's all it is. And, you know, obviously Cormier and, and Mayhay are going to be in AAA, you know, but if something happens to Hong Chi Kuo or someone up, you know, in the big league team, 
they're going to fill in. And the Cardinals don't have really you know anybody to fill in for you know for Wayne Wright or if any injuries. And you know what? You know what, Mike? If if Kyle McClung goes to the rotation, uh, the you know John Mo- John Mosley could better be uh, kicking himself in the head for trading uh, Luke Gregerson a couple years ago and not having any you know aside from Eduardo Sanchez, there's, there's really nobody who could you know take the place in the bullpen because you know Kyle McClung was really good as a reliever last year. Well, regardless of who they put in the bullpen, that Gregerson deal is awful. Anyway, that, yeah. that was for uh, Khalil Green, wasn't it? Yeah, how long yeah, yeah. did that, that work out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gosh, well, but no, you're you're right. They don't have a lot in the way. Of, what they have is like on their bench, like six guys were all basically the same guy, like Alan Craig and John Jay and and Nick Stavanova. Like it, yeah. these guys are are their their guys. They're they're placeholders. None of them are really going to be the guys who are going to help fill in and around Cool yeah. Holes and Holiday and Rasmus. Yeah, I mean, I. I really, you know, I dislike the Cardinals' uh, current team so much that I almost can't even ask you and, and ask myself who is going to be the breakout guy. I mean, it, you know, it really, it just doesn't look good. And there's really, you know, Kobe Rasmus is, is a good player. Um, Pujols is Pujols, you know, Holiday. But, yeah, again, you know, there's, you know, uh, Skip, uh, sorry, yeah, well, Skip, uh, sorry, Skip Schumacher. I can't pronounce his name. Schumacher, Craig, um, Jay, uh, Terrio, you know, Freese. These are all guys who are, not really major leaguers, you know. I mean, they're not going to be good major leaguers. And Terrio has already de- shown. It's the definition of stars and scrubs over there. It really is. It's so extreme. Um, you know, I I'm not picking the Cardinals to win the division, and I just I I'm not even. I don't think high of them, but I'm going to pick uh, Kyle McClellan to have a, to have a a big year, not a breakout year, but a big year. And if that's even saying anything, I mean, I don't even. I mean, you know, I can't, you know, because I don't think any of those of those players are going to have big years. I mean. I think Kyle McClellan's is going to be exciting this year. And what do you think? Uh, I, I agree with you about Kyle McClellan. I mean, if I had to pick one guy, it, it's kind of cheating because he had a very good year last year. But, you know, I think Coley Rasmus is going to take another step. I think he had a very good year last year, but I think he can be a superstar. Yeah. You know, if you think about his 2010, most of it was just about his complaining with uh, Tony La Russa. Yeah. And, of course, I'm always going to take the player side because I can't stand Tony La Russa. But hopefully, you know, they can put all that aside. And I think he, he does actually have the potential to, to move forward and have a very good year. And if he does, then you have him and Holiday and Pujols. Uh, you could have three of the better hitters in the league, and maybe that gets you something. Probably not into the playoffs, but that'll get you contention. So, so who, you know, so if you had to rank the division, because I'm asking you, <laughs> who would it be? Who would, who, you know, what would your standings be? Uh, my guess is that they're going to be very similar to yours, because I'm going to go with the Reds, number one, mm-hmm. the Brewers, number two, probably the Cardinals, number three, uh, Cubs, Pirates, and Astros. I'm going to take that exact order as well. Yeah, it's definitely going to be that. It's no, I mean, listen, you know, to all you listeners, Mike and I are just a couple of uh, baseball fans, but we know our stuff, right, Mike? I, I like to think so. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I, I don't really know anything. Mike is the smart one. I just, you know, I brought Mike on because he's smart, and I'm, I'm not. Um, Mike, you know, something I want to talk about. Uh, you know, before we take a break, uh, a couple things happened. You know, because you know, because every week uh, we try to, you know, Matt and I try to talk about the week, and uh, there's been a lot of, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I watching spring training games. I already talked about my experiences down in Florida, um, sunscreen. But yesterday, something uh, pretty scary happened with Andrew Bailey, and he threw a pitch, and and you know he was just wincing. Uh, Kurt Suzuki and the trainer came out to check him out, um, and, then, and then we got a tweet from Craig Breslow saying everybody he's going to be fine. And you said that's not very convincing, you know. And and I, I'm not, you know, now I kind of agree with you. Uh, what do you? What do you what do you make of that injury? I mean, it's obviously so crucial to the A's if he's going to miss time. But you know, what do you think? Well, I think um, you know I'm actually reading Twitter as, as we're talking here, and yeah. so Stefania Bell from ESPN uh, just tweeted that that it's it's relatively good news. It's just a strain, like didn't blow out the, uh, the ligament again. So he's probably going to be out for weeks, not for months or for a year. 
she says that he's okay to, to resume throwing when he's when he's pain free. There's no more treatments or anything. So I mean, that's good news for him. It's good news for A's fans. But I think Billy Bean realized that you know Andrew Bailey was was injury prone. He's very good when he can pitch, but he can't always pitch. So yeah. he went out and he really built up that bullpen. They got Brian Fuentes and Grant Balfour, and they already had um, uh, Michael Wirtz and, and all these other guys. I think they they can withstand the loss of Bailey. It just turns them from uh, an excellent bullpen into a very good one, which. Unfortunately, they might need an excellent bullpen because of their offense this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I do like the A's a lot, and I like a lot of parts of their team. Um, but this is, you know, if he's going to miss time, it's big. And, you know, I was looking at their minor league. You know, I was checking some minor league guys, and there's a couple guys who I saw last year, uh, Tristan Magnuson and Danny Farquhar, both who were traded to the A's in exchange for Roger Davis. And you know what? Neither one of those guys is going to be a really good uh, a major league reliever. Um, you know, Tyson Ross. Uh, you know, because you know, I'm, I'm just talking about minor league guys right now, and there's, you know, there's some guys – um, who could take over the closer's role, but you know, but you need to fill in a spot. You know, the, the bullpen still needs to be really good. And Tyson Ross is, you know, he if he if he does what they expected him to do last year, it'll be it'll be pretty big. And you know, he he throws hard. He's a he's a good pitcher. He just has control problems. You know, I like, I like Tyson Ross because I remember a story reading a story about him last year where uh, he was living with his mom about 20 minutes away from the park, so she'd wake him up every morning and do his laundry and then send him off to be a major league baseball player. Wow, and I thought that was hilarious. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I think he went to, was it Cal Berkeley, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember where, but somewhere around there. But, he, you know, he's a good pitcher. He he was, you know, I was, well, you know, because last year during spring training, uh, you know, I think it was like the last couple of days and, and teams, you know, brought, um, you know, it was it was exciting because every team, well, not every team, maybe almost every team had one final player who they had to bring on, and they were thinking about it. And, you know, some teams, you know, the Dodgers probably brought on, you know, player A, and the Rockies brought player B. But the you know the A's uh, surprised people when they took Tyson Ross with them, and it was it was exciting because you know he's a prospect, he's a he, you know, he's obviously I'm a relief prospect, but they actually had some high hopes for him. They expected him you know to be somewhat like uh, like what Andrew Bailey was in 2009, and he had a rough time. But you know if he can if he can get it together, you know if he could just try to, you know he has control problems, but he throws hard, he has good stuff, um, you know he has a he has he's really good arm action, uh, he, it's a pretty violent delivery, but. You know, he'd be a big part of their bullpen if he were able to, you know, to to be uh, an improvement on last year. Well, I think I think he's going to have to go to the minors no matter what, just because that bullpen is, is overloaded. I mean, in addition to the guys I, I mentioned before, there's also uh, Ziegler and Breslow and Blevins, and then you figure Bailey and Wirtz and Balfour and Fuentes. That's that's seven guys right there. Yeah, uh, and, so. and there's also Fernando Cabrera. Uh, and, right, you know, right. It sounds like I'm joking, but it's <laughs> seriously. Um, and also uh, something else that happened. Uh, the uh, the Reds uh, signed Ryan Hannigan to a three-year deal, and we didn't talk about that earlier. But you know, four million dollars on a three-year deal for Ryan Hannigan. I mean, it doesn't get you know, it, you know, it's 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 uh, there's nothing bad about it. It's not a lot of money. It's you know, he's he's you know, he's not part of the future. He's not part of the you know, in quotes future, but he's a really good catcher. You know, and that's and that's a good deal. So, I mean, four million dollars over three years for a player who's useful is basically nothing. And he's a catcher who gets on base. His on base percentage is excellent last year. I yeah. think he actually walked like almost twice as much as he struck out, which is which is excellent. And he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but you know when he can do that, who cares? As a catcher, I think that's a great deal for them. And uh, another story that happened today, which you know I'll be honest, you know this is gonna sound crazy, but I'm actually kind of sad about it because I've always liked Ian Snow. And uh, you know he came up, sorry, he didn't come up. He was traded from the Pirates after a disastrous 2000 after disastrous. Uh, first half of the 2009 season and he went to the Mariners and he was pretty freaking good on the Mariners in that in that in that second half of the year but then the following year he was horrible in 2010 he was he was horrible and uh, eventually signed with the Cardinals this past off season 
to a minor league deal, and then he retired today. Well, yeah, retired when when he didn't make the team, and they yeah. told him he, they, he's been sent to camp. I was kind of surprised by that. I mean, I guess you know who are we to say if a guy's heart's in it or not? But yeah. you figure it, the Cardinals are obviously a team with an opening in the starting rotation. And how many times have we seen Dave Duncan pull you know some old veteran uh, starter out of the scrap heap and make him a star again? So I mean, that's the perfect situation for someone to be in. Uh, you know, again, a personal decision and who are we to say? But I, I was I was very surprised to see that. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're gonna take a break real quick, and then we're gonna be uh, joined by Jonah Carey and uh, and Jerry Krasnick. Well, we're going to talk to Krasnick uh, first. And, um, but, you know, before, uh, before that, Mike, um, I, you know, I want to just uh, say something real quick. Uh, I'll have a president of the Mets. Um, you know, there's a good chance that either he or Castillo will either make the team or be released. Um, but, you know, it's funny because everyone, you know, because you just said Dave Duncan. And, you know, Dave Duncan uh, has had tremendous success with turning pitchers, you know, turning bad pitchers into good pitchers. But it's kind of funny how everyone says, you know, oh yeah, just you know, just trade Oliver Press to St. Louis, and, and Dave Duncan will take care of him. You know, it, it's not that easy for a pitching coach to to deal with a pitcher like that. I mean, you know, there's you know, and there's also been a lot of pitchers, as you said, Ian Snell, who Dave Duncan has not been able to fix. You know? Oh yeah, no, I mean he's great, but he's not perfect. And uh, you know, if Oliver Perez, I think he's going to get cut. I don't yeah. think he's going to make the opening day roster. And if if the Cardinals don't really have to pay anything for him, I think that's a, a perfect line to stop for. Yeah. Um, so we'll take a break real quick, and then we get back when we talk to Jerry Krasny. So until then. Off my big home, the bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then So back to the podcast, and I'm being joined by ESPN Baseball America's Jerry Krasny. Jerry, how are you? Good, Dave. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And, uh, you know, uh, Jerry, uh, I recently did on Beyond the Box score um, a ranking of, of reporter scoops, and you came in third, I believe. And, you know, you know, Jerry, can you talk about, you know, about what a scoop is and how that goes about? You know, how you know how, how do you guys value those? Well, I, I think it's changed a lot, Dave, since I first got in the business. You know, when I was uh, a beat writer back in Cincinnati and I used to, uh, you know, cover the team in Denver – um, and you worked for a newspaper, um, and you beat somebody on a story, you kind of had ownership of that story for almost the next 24 hours, really, you know, until it came out in the next day's paper, you know, because the Internet, I mean, this is back in the late 80s. Uh, people didn't care a whole lot about the Internet, what little there was of it. So, um, And conversely, if you got beaten, you know, you had to sort of, doing it and it was it was tough because you you know you were really discouraged and you know I, I think it's changed a lot now in the last few years and you know with Twitter and some of these things and for, for good but also for bad you know I think a lot of irresponsible information is thrown out there and you know to be honest with you I, I think there are people who are more concerned with being first as opposed to being right you know and and um, I don't mean to be just sound judgmental or, you know, mm-hmm. highfalutin about it, but I, I think there's a little bit too much of that. Um, and, you know, if I've, I've looked at some of these things and within 15, 20 minutes, if seven or eight outlets have it, unless you're a reader who is really paying pretty close attention, <laughs> you probably don't care who was the first person to have it. You know, mm-hmm. you want to know what it means for your team and, you know, if somebody gets traded or, or they sign a free agent where he's going to play, you know, and that's the stuff I think that it's probably of more value than the actual scoop. Um, I think a lot of the scoop is, you know, and I'm, I'm part of this too, but I think writers have egos and, 
you know, want to say they're first, but for the general reader, I'm not sure how much they really notice or care. Well, let's say hypothetically, okay? So hypothetically, so you, you know, so, so you report uh, player A uh, signed with player, uh, sorry, with team B, okay? Player A signs with team B, and then about, you know, and then and then MLBTradeRumors.com, which is, you know, I'm a source that, that, uh, that you know, that, that uh, that gives credit to you know to the proper source so that you know that um that report the deal and whatnot, um you know does uh you know for example uh, you work for ESPN you know I don't want to ask you anything that you can't answer but will a certain uh, you know like will the site that someone works for uh, will they see that and uh, and credit you know that person uh, with some sort of incentives uh, you know the other reporter who reported the deal. Well, you know sometimes I mean. I think there are cases where it gets a little carried away. I mean, if nobody knows anything about something and a person breaks it and nobody can confirm it, I mean, I think, you know, you really should give uh, just due to the people who get the thing first. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I mean, if everybody has it within 15 or 20 minutes and eight different sources have it, you know, do we all have to painstakingly cite which – source had it three minutes before the second source. I mean, I, I think we've gotten a little carried away with it, you know, and um, MLB Trade Room is a great site. I mean, it's amazing what they've done there. I, I think it's tremendous, but I also think it's fostered a little bit of an obsession with being first, like I said, and, you know, getting your name on this thing. And, look, we all like to give credit for what we do, but, you know, I, I think – like I said, the value of the scoop to me is not really what it used to be just mm-hmm. because of the immediacy and the, the quick turnarounds on these things, uh, you know, they just don't really last or hold up that long. Well, even though it's not as valuable as it used to be, I mean, so let's say you report the deal, but then someone, you know, a couple hours later confirms it or, you know, maybe adds a detail. You know, for example, uh, you know, the Brewers trade Granky, uh, sorry, the Royals trade Granky for, for three players and a player named later, and then someone jumps in and reports a player to be named later. Um, you know, is that is that as valuable or is that even close? Or, I mean, you know, how, you know, how do they go about that? How do they give, like, you know, do they give equal credit or do they share it? Or is it just you, you know? Well, I mean, again, I, you know, it's funny. At, e, at ESPN, I mean, I don't think that, you know, they tell us, look, we want you to be right with stuff, number one. that That's the most important thing. And number two is to provide context, you know, to yeah. uh, say, look, what does this mean? That sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of the actual scoops nowadays, you know, you got, you know, the first guy reports so-and-so's in serious conversations. Mm-hmm. Then it's like they're getting close. Then it's, well, they've done it pending a physical. Then it's, well, he's passed his physical. <laughs> yeah. Then it's, you know, here's his salary. Then it's, here's his incentives, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, they come in about six different installments, and everybody sort of gets a piece of it. And, again, I think a lot of it is sort of internal competition among writers more than it is of value to readers. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I don't even keep track of it as much as I used to. I mean, half the time, I don't even know who got something first, you know? Um, I I think, you know, with us, we're obviously very concerned with the really big ones. But, you know, there were, what, a couple hundred guys signed this offseason. And, you know, you you like to get your your hand in a few of them, and um, you take a personal interest in some. But, again, I I think you can become consumed with it to the point where it really, uh, you know, is out of all proportion to really the importance of, of the event.
Yeah, well, I mean, so you work for so you work for ESPN, and there's and there's a lot of guys who who obviously uh, are baseball writers. At ESPN, you know, let's say someone who works for uh, you know, let's just say the Mets, for example. Okay, and there's a lot of Mets writers. Do you, uh, do you think those writers uh, are in battle with each other to be the first to report a deal? You know, obviously scoops on me as much as you said, but you know, it's you know, it does feel good to probably report a deal. I mean, you know, because I've reported a deal before, and it still feels great. And that was a couple months ago. You know, so is there a battle? Well, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if anybody at ESPN reports something, that that's a teammate of mine, and that's fine, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, and I think at a big place like ESPN sometimes, that might be a, an area where you don't want to be bumping into each other all the time. I mean, I had a GM once came up to me in a lobby and said, uh, geez, I've had like five people from ESPN call me this week, and you didn't call me. Like, are you mad at me or something? Are you just kidding? But <laughs> You know, I think I, I don't like to wear certain people out. I, I feel like, geez, you know, if everybody from ESPN is calling this person, do I really need to be doing it too? So, um, you know, we, again, I, I think in our place, you know, people would probably be surprised, but I, I think we do value them. Um, you know, and I think the other misnomer is people think that at, at ESPN, like we, we get criticized for like taking credit for other people's reporting and, and, I mean, actually, when you look at the ticker, we're always crediting other places, right. you know. I, we, I think we try to do our best, but without being consumed by it to the point where if somebody has something two minutes earlier, do you really need to give them, you know, complete credit mm -hmm. for it? I, I think it's just gotten a little bit carried away, you yeah. know, with, with the mentality now. Hey, Jerry, can you talk a little bit about, you know, about the, you know, how Twitter has obviously made a huge impact in the way that reporters are break deals. Obviously, you know, um, you know, so, you know, for someone like you, I, how you tweet it and then probably write it on your site, ESPN. I mean, um, you know, do most people uh, check Twitter first or, or do they go on ESPN first? I mean, how do they, how does that work? Well, we've actually had conversations and I think our rules at least, uh, I think they're a little more restrictive than some places because our editors have stressed to us. They don't want you just, you know, randomly tweeting things yeah. out. They really, you know, because a lot of these stories have to be sourced. You know, you have, um, uh, you know, agents and you have front office people and, and different people. And, um, you know, they like us to call into the desk and say, look, here's what I'm reporting. Here's who I heard it from. Um, we'll write something. We'll send it in. And then we can, you know, send it out on Twitter. Um, but. You know, I think if you have writers just using Twitter, you know, haphazardly and just sort of firing things out there all the time, um, you know, it's it seems to be more for your benefit than it is for the benefit of your news organization. I think that's the way they feel like at ESPN, and, and I agree with them. You know, I, I think you still do have to have certain standards, you know. So we'll put things out on Twitter, and, and again, Twitter is really good as a sort of – social meeting house sort of place, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of things get, when you're trying to squeeze different things, you know, 140 characters, a lot yeah. of times things get reported a different way, get misinterpreted, and you wind up causing more problems than you, you know, than you really need. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, I want to ask you about, about you know, obviously, uh, you wrote for, Cincinnati, uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you were a beat writer there, and you worked in, and you wrote for, for um, a, a newspaper in Maine, I believe. Can you talk about some of the most interesting stories that you've covered? Um, I'm in your time. Well, I mean, I've had some interesting, uh, yeah, I, you know, when I was in Cincinnati, geez, I, you know, my first year on the beat, I came in and I think it was right about mid-March. So I had about two weeks left in spring training. And then 
during that season was the year that Pete Rose uh, pushed Dave Pallone and got a 30-day suspension. Mm -hmm. And most people don't remember that, you know, that Pete Rose, Pete Rose sat out a month uh, my first year on the beat. That was a pretty big deal at the time. I mean, just imagine a guy of that magnitude getting a month-long suspension. Um, you know, little did we know. But, you know, then the next year, uh, obviously, Pete, the Pete gambling investigation consumed all our time. Then the Reds went wire to wire. Then there was all the Marge shot hijinks. So um, Cincinnati was kind of the center of the baseball universe when I was out there. It was uh, there was something going on every uh, every year, and it it was kind of got dull after that. But mm -hmm. and then when I went to Denver, um, you know the Rockies started and they drew four million fans. So. Uh, I was pretty lucky. I, I got to cover some pretty exciting stuff. Hey, Jerry, you know, there's just a couple more things I want to ask you because I want to let you go. But uh, um, I think you wrote a book called License to Deal, right? Yes, I did. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that book? Yeah, I wrote the book in 2005. Um, it was a book about uh, – I've always been sort of fascinated by the agent business. You know, I think it's a really important underlying aspect of baseball that's sort of underreported. Um, and uh, – so rather than just get a big agent, I wanted to find somebody who was smaller and, you know, trying to make their way up in the business. And, and I wound up focusing on Matt Sosnick and Paul Cobb, um, mm -hmm. agents out in San Francisco. And, um, you know, little did I know at the time, they had a young kid yeah. named Dontrell Willis who became pretty big. And now five years later, uh, these guys are, you know, pretty huge agents. I mean, they have Jay Bruce. They just negotiated a deal for – you know, potentially more than seventy million for him and mm -hmm. Josh Johnson and Freddie Sanchez and Josh Willingham. I mean, they have down the line. Um, they're probably a top ten size agency, uh, and they've done great. But um, mm -hmm. you know, the book itself was sort of <laughs> following them in the first couple, of, you know, first couple of years of their business, the first three or four years, um, and it did okay. I mean, I don't know that people in general are as interested in the agent business as I am, but I was proud of the book, and I, I liked it. I thought it was a fun read, and I wish more people had agreed with me. But uh, um, it, it was it was a nice book to have done, and I'm like I said, I'm proud of it, and uh, um, I, I it was a very interesting experience for sure. Yeah. Hey, well, hey, listen, Jerry. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. It was great to talk, you know, scoops and baseball with you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Dave. Now we're being joined by Jonah Carey. Jonah, how you doing? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. And, I, and obviously, uh, things have been really busy for you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, busy in a good way. It's all good. The book has uh, been very well received, and uh, the mantra of the extra 2% lived on, I guess. And we're going to talk about the book, obviously. But, you know, I want, I want to start actually talking about the Expos real quick, because you grew up an sure. Expos fan, right? And, I mean, and the Expos yes. are, are still in your heart, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I've, I've removed myself a little bit because it's been a few years and I think that, uh, although emotionally you can talk about whatever, I mean, I, I have to be intellectually somewhat detached. I have children and a life and a job yeah. and whatever, so I have to do my best, but sure. I mean, and it's funny how it, it manifests itself. Uh, you know, you just think about like, who's still the game? Oh, Orlando Cabrera just signed a contract to be, you know, a below average second baseman for the Indians. Oh, well, I hope he does well. You know, it, it's those types of things. It's these little <laughs> reminders. Uh, that the team, you know, not too long ago existed and uh, and was very much the team that I lived and died with growing up, absolutely. 
and and then the Expos leave, and then uh, and then you become a Rays fan, and and uh, talk about that. You know, talk about about how that process worked, and how you became you know um, inspired to write about the Rays. Um, yeah, it's kind of the other way around. I, I, I had some interest in the Rays. I mean, I thought they were a cool story, good underdog story, uh, but didn't really become, I would say, invested in them uh, until uh, you started writing the book, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I told this story a couple times, but it's a funny story. I mean, the the gist of it is, back in the 90s, I used to post on this Expo's message board, and, uh, and I was talking about stats, and not that many people were. You know, Rob Meyer was doing it, and I heard Bill James as a kid, but this was before Moneyball and all this. And I would talk about things in kind of an analytical light, and it wasn't anything genius. Uh, but there was some stuff out there, and, and I wasn't a, a sports writer at the time, by the way. I was just This was something I was doing as a fan. And most people thought I was completely crazy or out to lunch, and then there were a couple of people who were like, oh, this, this guy's kind of interesting. Huh, whatever. So fast forward almost a decade, I get an email from this guy. He says, you don't know me. I used to post on that message board. I was AZ bullpen coach. Now I'm an editor at Random House. We should work together. And I'm <laughs> laughing. I'm thinking, oh, he's playing someone, playing a practical joke on me. No, it was for real. And uh, a few months after that, we get to the summer of 08, and the Rays are doing great. And we didn't have an idea when this guy first approached me. But then he comes back and says, hey, uh, you know, this seems like a great story. Number one, it's a good underdog story. And, and there, you know, I think there are elements of the Expos with a homegrown club that comes up and does really well. But number two, and more importantly, uh, because I'm a sports and business writer and have those two hats, I wear those two hats, it's a good fit with these guys because obviously you've got uh, two of the people, the protagonists in the story, come from Goldman Sachs, and then one comes from the world of private equity. And, you know, I can at least mm-hmm. take it pretty well when talking about the, with the market and business and so forth. And so, hey, you've got this dual skill set, and Michael Lewis isn't available, so we're going to go slumming and hire you. And that, that's pretty much how it came to be. And, uh, yeah, it worked out great. It's been, it was a great fit, I think, for what I wanted to do. I've been thinking about writing a book before. I, I floated the idea of a Branch Ricky book. Somebody else picked it up instead, and that was it turned out to be a very good book. Um, but this was great. This was exactly a fit for my sensibilities. There was reporting as well as writing. I like the fact that I got to hit the road and really do some, some serious reporting because I do have that in my mm-hmm. bag of tricks. And, uh, and it worked out great. And I think that the uh, hopefully the book is a reflection of it. Two-plus years of working on the thing, and, uh, and I'm pretty happy about it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I wanted to ask you about about uh you know like your you know the future because uh, obviously this is uh this is you know this is a great book that came out uh, you know just recently and are you going to plan on writing anything else in the future? Am I going? I'm sorry. Am I going to plan on what? Um, are you going to plan on writing any on writing on any other books in the future? Uh, funny you mentioned that. I'm actually in Los Angeles and I'm having a meeting tomorrow. I uh, can't talk about what it's about, but uh, there is a second book idea. I'll tell you this: it's not a sports book. Well, yeah, I mean, and I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, about you know, obviously, uh, obviously Wall Street, because you know about that, because uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of the extra two percent is about how you know how the Rays management, um, you know, are benefited, uh, you know, to do their job by, you know, from the Wall Street method. So, so you know, as as as, as someone like you who actually worked on Wall Street, you know, what what um, you know was it easier or was it or was it um, you know um, much easier for you to to write about the book because of your Wall Street experiences? Uh, I will gently clarify and say I never worked on Wall Street and just am a lowly BA in journalism, but I wrote about the stock market oh, okay. for uh, for more than a decade for a paper called Investors Business, which is actually based out here in Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, it did become easier. I will say this, though. Um, you know, the subtitle of the book is How Wall Street Strategy Turned a Major League Baseball Team from Worst to First, and I think that that's getting um, – something in terms of that angle, but I really see it as more than that. First of all, I think that it's a really good baseball story, and I know that we're talking on a baseball podcast, and this is a good baseball story. This is the story of how this team, of what happened with this team, and I really do think 
uh, you could compare, you know, the research and just kind of the the thoroughness of everything that happened with this team with, with whatever, you know, other baseball book you want in terms of that kind of story. And I think it matches up pretty well because there's a lot of detail, not just about stats or scouts or whatever, but I'm talking about off-field stuff and how do they market the team and, and just all that goes into it. So I think that comes into play. And then there's stories, too. I mean, uh, you know, some of them are Wall Street-related stories, but most of them are just baseball mm-hmm. stories. It's a story of how they almost drafted Albert Pujols, uh, you know, stories about – Gosh, just about everything. I mean, how they deploy the tactics that they do. There's a great story about Dan Johnson, uh, who was, you know, just not a very well-known player, and he comes up and just hits the biggest home run in the history of the Tampa Bay Rays franchise under unbelievable circumstances. So, yeah, there's just good stuff. I do feel like it's a page-turner more than an intellectual exercise. I think you can Uh maybe learn some stuff from the book. You know, I kind of have to write an entertaining book, maybe first and foremost. So, yeah, and and you said that you wrote, well, you started writing about it. You know, when the Raiders started doing well in 2008, uh, you know, was the process yeah. was it actually because you know because I was reading the book and there were parts of it, you know, where it was, you know, I was seeing it fairly recent. So, how, you know, how mm-hmm. how was the process? How long was the process? And was it hard? Was it? I mean, you know, did it take you? I mean, well, you know, were there times where you said, "Oh my gosh, I can't do this," or talk about it? Well, uh, I signed the contract in Thanksgiving of 08, and. Um, I wrote my final words for the book when Matt Garza got traded, which was uh, January of this year. So that's two plus years. Part of what made it difficult, first of all, writing a book, yeah, Yeah. I'm not going to shed any tears, and it was good, and and it's my job, it's fine. Um, But part of what made it interesting or unique or whatever, there were a couple things that happened in the interim. Number one, I had twins, uh, (laughs) which is interesting. They're now 17 months old, and they're great, and and whatever. And number two is I almost died in a car crash. I, I drove off the road going about, 70, 75 miles an hour, car hit a couple of exit ramps, flipped, crashed into a bunch of trees, and I landed upside down. Uh, people ran to the car, pulled me out. They said, oh, my God, you, oh, my God, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Nothing <laughs> happened. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing now, but it's just – yeah. It was it was, it was was uh, stupefying. I mean, so, so just all that stuff that had come down the pike while I'm writing this book was, uh, was pretty interesting and unique. I do hope that the next book that I write – uh, assuming that I do go ahead with this next book, it's going to be a little bit more calm. Um, but yeah, and, and beyond that, you know, the nuts and bolts of it, it, it I, I do think there was a fair amount of work, but I liked it. I, I liked the fact that it wasn't only just sitting down and writing. If you write a history book, if you have to write about Bryce Ricky, number one, you go to the library. Number two, you write. This was more involved than that. This was driving to Hazleton, Pennsylvania to go talk to everybody Joe Madden has ever known. This is uh-huh. spending time at City Hall in Tampa, or in St. Pete, rather, uh, you know, just getting a feel for how did they get the team. And what happens if they try to break their stadium lease and things like that? So because there was a diversity of activities, I think it made it more interesting and that even though I was staring down a deadline or whatever, it made it more, uh, I don't know about pleasant or easy, but at least more intellectually challenging and interesting to do. Do you think that, that the extra 2% will you know, set a precedent for, for not only uh, baseball writers, but, but you know, I mean – you know, because a lot of people read your stuff, and there's a lot of, of, of baseball people, you know, people involved in the game who probably, are, you know, uh-huh. are, are not only aware, but, were, you know, probably inspired by this book. I mean, is there any is there any uh, idea of yours, you know, that, you know, maybe uh, some type of, you know, uh, person involved in some team will, you know, take it and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, we can, you know, we can do this, or, you know, you know kind of like, kind of like the A's with Moneyball, you know, or not the A's, you know, other teams uh, after, after hearing about the A's and Moneyball. Yeah, it's a funny thing about this book. And I always preface this when I talk about Michael Lewis by saying that, in my, for my money, he's the best nonfiction writer in the Western Hemisphere. I think he's fantastic, and 
and uh, and I'll do credit to everything that he does. He tells a better story than I do, quite frankly. He sets out an antagonist and a protagonist and says, "Here's the story." So Moneyball, there, you know, you could get into it in a more diverse way, but it does boil down to a certain extent to scouts versus stats. And so I think that, that there is an easy, easy take-home message with that is, oh, it's stats, let's get on base percentage, a bunch of big fat guys that hit home runs and we're going to be fine. Um, you can't really break money uh, – sorry, money ball. You can't break the extra 2% down that way because there's way more going on. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that that's better or worse or whatever than, than money ball because, I think, again, I think money ball is awesome and Michael is such a good storyteller or what have you. But I just think there's a lot of little things that go on in this book because that's reflective of the way the Rays do business. They're just, again, this 2% idea. They're just looking for the 2% advantage over the competition in, in literally whatever. It could be in having more nutritious food in the clubhouse in AA. I mean, it could just be these things that you're not even thinking about. And so for someone to come in and say, oh, this is a formula to replicate, I, I guess you could try, but it, it's not like there's any one thing that's so secret or so different or so revolutionary. I just think it's taking existing systems and improving on them, and existing practices, and improving on them, and, and maybe hiring better people, and and having a better process, and delegating a little bit better, and, and all that. So, uh, you know, I I do hope to talk about this book uh, in business circles and, and things like that. But uh, the message is a little bit more diverse and complex than just someone reading it and saying, "Oh, you know, I'm going to run with this thing." And by the way, I. I'm a writer. I mean, whatever. Maybe people were inspired by Moneyball or whatever, but I don't pretend that I'm some guy who can absolutely change the way the Kansas City Royals do business. I just think that that's, that, that's probably a little bit of a leap, and I don't pretend to have any kind of influence like that. Maybe Moneyball did, maybe Michael Lewis did, but I'm not Michael Lewis, and, and I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't claim to be Michael Lewis. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, and it's true. The, uh, the book is really it's, – it's not just that kind of book, as you said. And, you know, but I want to talk about Jonah Carey, the baseball person, and, you know, uh, I think it was about it was about eight or ten years ago. You uh, you uh, came up with the with the success cycle, and then you mm-hmm. started writing for Fangraphs about ten about ten years later, right? I mean, talk about talk about Jerry yeah. Carey, yeah, the baseball guy. Uh oh, gosh. I mean, there's there's been a lot of stuff that's gone down the pike, and uh, yeah, part of Fangraphs is that uh, you know I'm friendly with some people there, including Dave Cameron, and and uh, it was an opportunity to get back into. I mean, quite frankly, when I was writing the book. I I went away a little bit from from doing that stuff. I wasn't writing as regularly uh, on the side because I had to write the book. Yeah. And so this was just an opportunity to get back into it. And it was you know pretty much a simple phone call. I've known David. Said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And he said, Yeah, let's do it. So it wasn't anything revolutionary or or, or whatever. And and Fangraphs is still one of several things that I do. I still write for the Wall Street Journal and uh-huh. Penthouse and a whole bunch of other places. And uh, so so yeah. So I think that it was just one thing of many. And and going back to the baseball perspective days. I mean, that was just fortuitous. It was pretty much, there's a story behind that, too. I'll try to give you the short version. Basically, the short version is, Randy Gisurli runs an article in 2001, wants to recruit people for a Stratomatic League. And I say, Randy's yeah. in that league, and so is Joe Sheehan, and, and whatever. And if I join that, it'd be fun to join the league, but maybe I could get into baseball perspectives. I'm just, I don't know, 26, 27, yeah. and, and, and I thought that was cool. And uh, anyway, in the end, Rainey picked three people who were really qualified, and then he picked me, even though I wasn't qualified because I was an Expos fan, and he felt sorry for me, because it always comes back to the Expos. And, uh, and that whole thing basically came about because of Rainey, and then ultimately Joe Sheehan is the person that gave me a chance, and, uh, and for that I will always be grateful to Joe. He, uh, you know, he, he and I talked about this idea, and he had kind of, uh, flushed it out a little bit too, and he said, "Yeah, you should try to run with this. this is a good first story idea." And uh, yeah, so full credit to him for for giving me that opportunity, and then ultimately working with 
gosh, Dave Peace and Michael Wolverton and Keith Wolner and Nate Silver and Will Carroll and, and, and so many other great people, Steve Goldman and James Click and, and, and what have you, Dane Perry, that, that uh, you know, it, it, just, it just went down the road that way. And so I think as, as things progressed, I think baseball perspectives as a group, there was definitely a halo effect, you know, that, that everybody in the group gained a good reputation, uh, certainly for their own work. And, you know, James Click is working for the Tampa Bay Rays because he's a really smart guy with good research. Uh, other people are where they are for that reason. They don't forgot. I mean, look at what he's doing. So I, I think that you earned it on the basis of your work, but I think there's a lot to be said for how the group baseball perspective has a good reputation. And so that led to ESPN.com and, and some other stuff. And then ultimately to what I'm doing today. And uh, yeah, and I remain friendly with them and with Fangraphs. There, there's no holy war going on as far as I'm concerned. And are there any expectations of yours on a particular aside from, you know, I was obviously continuing the book writing. I mean, uh, you know, uh, do you have anything in mind for the future in terms of uh, of where you'll be writing? You know, I mean, uh, have you could talk about? <laughs> Nothing that I could talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things just in the last uh, little while that have come up as possibilities, and I'm weighing a bunch of them. Uh, some of them are writing. Some of them are – I've got a podcast at uh, JonahCarry.com, and mm. there's a possibility of doing that in other places than JonahCarry.com. So uh-huh. that would also be cool. And, uh, and other things, there could be some ancillary activities I can't yet talk about, which are not necessarily related to uh, broadcasting or writing, which would be fun as well. So check back with me in about a month or so, maybe even less than that, and things will probably crystallize a little bit. Yeah, well, if you do, if, if you do become the host of the Beyond the Bosco podcast, please at least I'll just let me keep my job here. <laughs> there is a 0% chance of that, Dave, and you're doing a great job, and, and I could not you – you can't replace the irreplaceable. Thanks, Jonah. Of course, and 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 same goes to you. And, and you know, hey, listen. Now, there's one more thing I want to ask you because I know I know that you got to sure. go. But um, listen, if you know, if the Montreal Expos are still a team, okay, if you know, if they never yeah. move, if they're, if you know, hey, let's say they improved. Let's say things, you know, weren't as um, as bad for them as they were in the early 2000s. Is there a book? Um, is you know, is the extra two percent ever a book if the Montreal Expos are still a club? Um. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I didn't write the book about the Rays because I'm a Rays fan. It was sort of the other way around. I became, you know, I became more interested in the Rays as I was writing it. I see. Uh, as I mean, I've written, you know, when the Expos were still in existence, I still wrote about the Detroit Tigers and the Houston Astros. So I, I just think that it was – maybe I wouldn't have become so emotionally invested in the team because I really did. I really started to, you know, care a lot about the players, obviously, because I talked to them and Madden and, and so forth, although I try to write that bias and still – Know, be critical when necessary, but uh, I just think that maybe it would have had a little. The book might have had a slightly different flavor, but I think it still possibly would have. Mm-hmm. I can't, who can say for sure? But possibly would have come to be because it was a good fit. Yeah. There was a publisher that was interested, in, and uh, and we probably would have gone down at least a similar road. Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And uh, and you know, obviously, the book. You know, we're all thankful that the book came out, and and and, and it's great. And uh, hey, Jonah, thanks so much for joining us. And it's always great. To, it's always great to hear from you. Uh, you do a great job, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Dave. And, uh, yeah, pick up the extra 2%. Amazon.com, Fire Bookstores, Kindle, Nook, iPad, Carrier Pigeon, all that good. I already got it on the iPad. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. So back to the podcast, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the interviews with Jonah and uh, Jerry. Uh, Mike, so so you said that you were going to uh, you're going to go down to spring training next week, right? Uh, yeah, on the uh, the 25th, I think, and the, and the 26th, I'm going to see uh, a Yankee game and a uh, Phillies game. So so talk about talk about uh, talk about everything. I mean, are you are you going to are you going to be with anybody, or are you going to just go by yourself, or what? 
Uh, it's actually kind of a family tradition. We, uh, my family, I'm, you know, from New Jersey originally, and uh, my family and I had gone down to Vero Beach for uh, like three years because um, I like, you know, I'm a Dodger fan and my dad's a Mets fan and Port St. Lucie is not that far away. And um, my mom doesn't care about baseball, but she likes sitting in the sun with us, so she's huh. happy to go and get a weekend away too. And then the Dodgers left, and so we didn't go to Vero anymore, and we went to uh, Orlando one year to see the Braves, which was awesome because it was the year before Jason Hayward's rookie season when he was like 19 ah. and i saw him hit a ball like beyond the right field fence and beyond the fence beyond that and then beyond the fence beyond that like he almost hit the wow. F-cut side, which was awesome uh and then last year we went to arizona to see that the new dodger camp and it's such a different experience out there than it is in florida because it i i had never been to arizona before and i was just surprised at how dead it is in terms of nightlife we were in downtown phoenix on a saturday night at eight o'clock and there was nobody there. There were no bars open. And maybe I'm just jaded because I live in Manhattan and I'm used to everything being active all the time. But I was very surprised by that. So it was an interesting experience. But I think I'm happy to be going back to Florida this year. So are you? I mean, are you going to try to get to any minor league camps? Um, you know, probably not because uh, our schedule is kind of tight. Like we're flying in Friday morning and then the Yankee game's at, at one, so I, you know, going right to that game. Yeah. Uh, I think if if it wasn't like a family thing where everybody doesn't care about baseball as much as I do, I probably would. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No. Well, I gotta say, uh, Max? sorry. No, good. Well, what I was gonna say was, I actually uh, this past this past Thursday, I flew in at eight in the morning from Westchester Airport, and I got in at, a, at like eleven thirty, and then I went to the Phillies Yankees game. All right, and it was so simple. I mean, the drive was easy. The ballpark is close to Tampa Airport. Assuming you're flying to Tampa Airport, right? Yes, yes, we are. Very simple. Uh, you just get a car. You just go. Boom. See a game. So that's that, what I want to do. I, I would love to be able to just like, spend a. Like, I see all these people I know on Twitter saying, okay, I'm spending a week, I'm going to this park and this park and this park. Like me? And I'm thinking myself, <laughs> yeah, like, well, like you. And I'm like, oh, I'm in my soul-crushing cubicle job. I wish I was out there. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I mean, you may be in a cubicle job, but you're uh, but you're the best Dodgers blogger ever. And remember that. Thank you very much. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, are you are you anticipating any certain players who you want to see, uh, you know, um, especially? Um, you know, I, one of the reasons we always go late in the spring is because um, – get to see more of the, the major league ball players. And it's funny because I would probably rather see the minor league guys, yeah. but you know, you go with the family, they want to see people they know. So I think by that point, it's like the last four days of camp and it will be mostly the major league guys. But as far as the minor league guy, I'm interested to see this won't be during camp, but I'm actually from New Jersey, not that far away from Lakewood where the Phillies single A team is. Uh, and I've seen a bunch of good guys through the, through the years. And so I've already booked it on my calendar for, I think May 13th is when Hagerstown goes to Lakewood. Yeah. Cause right. that'll be Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it was funny because last year I was, you know, I spent the summer in Vermont, obviously, and New Hampshire is right there. But also, um, in the other direction are the Vermont Lake Monsters of the New York Penn League. And, you know, because I love the New York Penn League. I, I write a New York Penn League blog, but I was hoping that, well, you know, last year the, the Lake Monsters were the Nationals, Mike. So, you know, Bryce Harper played in the Arizona Fall League, but some expected that he would go to rookie ball or, you know, short season now just to get some at-bats. Unfortunately, he didn't go to Vermont, but A.J. Cole did, and that was, that was pretty cool. But, um... Yeah, yeah, I hope Harper's still in A-ball by the time Will and A rolls around. Well, I mean, I, you know, what do you think about that? Because it's kind of interesting. You know, he said that he's never been cut from a team in his life. He's always made every single team. I mean, uh, do you think he should have at least gone – you know, I mean, is he going to be a quick comer personally? There's, I mean, listen, I, I I, can't imagine any way where he would have uh, made the major league team out of spring training. But I do think that, he, you know, there's a chance that he could, you know, be in AAA by the end of the season. I mean, is he uh, – do you think he's going to uh, jump, you know, organ, um, uh, affiliate by affiliate or is he going to be slow? I think I think you could put him in the major leagues right now, and from a baseball perspective, he would probably it would be great. But he'd probably hold his own. But yeah. I, I think the Nationals are crazy if they try to do that. And I don't think they will do that. I think I think the best hope he's got is to maybe get like a cup of coffee at the end of the season in the bigs. But I think even that's unlikely. Uh, you know, if I'm them, I, I 
you know, you could take it slowly and wait three years, and he'd still only be 20. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're not going to win this year. I think, you know, let him play in the minors this year, get a taste of what professional life is all about. It's really almost as much as, as the off-the-field stuff as just on the field. Just get a, a taste of what life is on your own and away from the parents and all that. Bring in the major league camp next year, see where the team is, see where he is, and then, you know what, maybe if he's that good, like Jason Hayward, we'll, we'll jump him to the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, and especially being an outfielder, the uh, you know the other uh, other uh, time, you know, I mean, there's 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 definitely a lot more time to take it slow with him than if he was a catcher, because obviously, you know, they signed to a major league deal, and you know, if he if he uh, gets cut twice, you know, if he gets sent down to the minors after next spring training, he only has one more, uh, you know, time out, you know, he only has one more option. So, yeah, and that's what's that's what's brutal about that deal. I mean, I get that that's what they wanted to sign for, but that that sucks for the team. Yeah, it really is, but. uh Hey, listen, Mike. Uh, thanks so much for doing this with us, and uh, you know it's always great to have you on. Uh, you know we we love having you on. We'll have you on more, but uh, you know obviously covering for Matt, uh, you had some some big uh, shoes to fill, and you filled them very well. I'm sure Matt is listening right now. Matt is Matt's enjoying it, and he's he's really happy that you were uh, his replacement. So thank you for that, Mike. No, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you guys have really you guys have done a great job, and. and- Pulled in some really uh, impressive guests the last couple of weeks, I have to say. Well, yeah, I mean, I always say this. Our best guest is that, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I think his name is Mike Petcher. <laughs> that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He loves Juan Pierre. I love Juan Pierre, too. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, uh, well, yeah, that's going to do it for this week of the Beyond the Box World podcast. Um, if you want to, you could you could download it on iTunes. You could subscribe to the podcast. Uh, listen to it on, on the site itself. And, Mike, I'm sure you're going to have it on your site. Um, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yes, that's going to do it. Until next time.